You know, I, uh, I remember in some of the very early days of um, some of the COVID restrictions that we had, and you know, one of the things they did was they limited the amount of people that could go into a grocery store. And you know, at a, and at Costco, there would always be this long line around the outside of the building that you had to wait in to, to be led inside the, the store. And, and I would drive by that line sometimes and decide, is this, is this worth waiting in that line or not? And most of the time, the answer is no, because if you know me at all, you know I hate waiting in lines. It is one of the things I love about Yakima is you don't have to wait uh, to, to, you know, traffic and all that. Um, and so, but there was this one day, there was one, there's something that I really wanted. Uh, it speaks to the fact that I actually can't remember what that thing uh, is um, now, but there was, at that time, I wanted it enough that I said, yeah, I'm going to wait in line. And so I waited in that line and, you know, 30 minutes go by, I'm still waiting and, um, and although uh, there was a couple times I thought, man, I could probably go somewhere else and get this, or Amazon, they, they'll give it to me in two days, you know, um, I, I still waited because, you know, at the end of the day, there's this truth that we're willing to wait for something if we believe our, our waiting is worth it, that, that, that the thing we're waiting for is worth it. And even with those things, though, waiting is never easy. You know, from the small things of waiting in lines at Costco or waiting in the, the DMV where it seems to have incentive to move slowly to waiting on big things, you know, waiting to hear test results from a biopsy tumor, to waiting for God to answer long-spoken prayers, waiting for God to remove chronic pain. Waiting is hard. It's hard because it means that our hope is still a future hope. <laughs> the thing they're waiting for hasn't actually happened yet. It's, it's unrealized hope, and so waiting is always hard. And in the story of Noah and the ark, you read it, and you think, yeah, you, you get on this boat and you get saved and life is good. For the, for the Christian in the room, you, you believe in G Jesus. You get on the boat, so to speak, uh, the ark that is Christ. And you think things are going to be good. Things are going to be uh, easier for you. You think the waiting is over. But then no one actually read the fine print. It's like, well, I have to stay locked up into this boat for over eight months? Uh, you know, maybe I don't want to get in this boat, actually. And in this uh, story of Noah and the ark, uh, there's a difficult truth uh, at play for us here. And it says that believing in Christ, getting on the ark, doesn't actually take away your waiting and your suffering. Getting on the ark, believing in Jesus, having faith, being a part of the family of God does not take away your waiting and your suffering. In some instances, there's this this is for truth that, that actually this can be the cause of your suffering is getting on this boat. Think about it. It would have been much easier to let the floodwaters take them and drown than to be in the boat with their family for eight plus months. Waiting is hard. And it's hard because you can't help but wonder, did you forget me, Lord? How long must I endure this pain? In fact, over half the Psalms are filled with that kind of language. How long, O oh Lord? And the longer we wait, we begin to wonder, is this waiting worth it? Or is my boat just going to be capsized and I did all this work for nothing? Like someone waiting in line for brisket at a Texas barbecue joint, only to find you get up to the front and the person right in front of you in line got the last bit of, of brisket. That's what we wonder, is the waiting worth it? Is it going to be worth it in the end? Will there any, be anything left for me? Will our hope ever be realized? It's a big question we have in all of life and enduring any kind of pain and suffering. And in this text, there's something beautiful for us. This profound truth that you can wait on the Lord. 
because God remembers you. You can wait on the Lord because God remembers you. You can wait. You can endure a tragedy of life because God remembers you. The God that created the heavens and the earth, the God that now sustains all things, there's both, you know, out there over all things, but also right here with you. He remembers you. And he will accomplish his task of bringing you through the troubled waters into a place of new creation, a place of hope realized. And this is how we can wait and endure to the, our day-to-day pains because God remembers us. And he remembers you and he was bringing you through this life into this world, into a world that is to come, into everlasting new creation. That is what he promises to bring you to. So because God remembers you, you can wait on him. And as we think about this, the great, the memory of God, so to speak, I think there's three aspects of his memory that are on display for us this morning that have so much to teach us that we're gonna be just scratching the surface, and they're these. The first thing is that God remembers us in his silence. Secondly, that, that God remembers us in his work. And third, that God remembers us in his rest. So first, God remembers us in his silence. I'm gonna go back just one verse above what I read. Verse 24, it says this, on uh, chapter 7, it says, And the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. Like sometimes you read these days, you're like, oh, it's, yeah, then you kind of move on. 150 days is a long time. And there's people, I think there's children in this room that maybe haven't been alive for 150 days yet. 150 days is a long time. And then it says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. God remembered Noah. And and all the living creatures, none of them are left out. This is kind of this beautiful truth. God remembers all of his creation, all the little critters, all nestled on the ark, which is amazing. But at this point, just remember, God actually hadn't spoken to Noah since he told him to build the ark and that all this stuff would happen. They've been on the ark for 150 days thus far. And even then, in verse 1, we hear that, that he is remembered. It doesn't tell us that Noah knows that. God is silent. In his memory. Noah didn't have the benefit of reading this text. He didn't read this and go to his family and say, it's all right, guys. I know this is hard, but God remembered us uh, so we can, you know, we can endure. Be cool. And not once did God speak to them like a coach does and to encourage them. Say, hey, you guys, you got this. Just keep on going just a few months longer. Almost there. You can do it. But suddenly, even on the ark, God is silent. This required a great faith that for Noah and his family, that they were not forgotten. In the midst of what was likely probably over eight months of being tossed around in the waters, cooped up with their family, with in-laws, animals, that was a joke, animal waste. (laughs) Probably not a lot of fresh air in that boat, right? Imagine that. And what this tells us is that God's silence does not mean that you are ignored. The silence of God in your life does not mean that you are ignored. It doesn't mean that you're forgotten. It doesn't mean that you're unloved. What a profound truth for us. That God remembers us actually in his silence. And maybe even more than that, his silence in your life is actually part of, part of the thing that tells us that he remembers you. Not something you want to hear, but it is... There's a profound truth that he is always there remembering you, his people. And there's such an important thing for us to hear. We live in the instant culture where our technology is predicated on the idea of making life easy. 
right? All our technology is meant to make life easy and instant so you don't have to wait for anything, so you, you don't have any discomfort in your life. And where we can interpret discomfort often as the absence of God, here the opposite is true. true. It, it's, it's in the silence that God is at work. Even in the waves of life, even when you're at your most desperate state and you cry out, God, be a refuge to me. God, give me rest, which is what Noah's name means, right? His name means rest, and you, you cry out to God to be Noah, so to speak. It's in those moments when the silence of God is deafening. It is when the silence of God is at its loudest that his remembrance for you is at its strongest. So the question for you is, where do you experience God's silence in your life right now? Where do you sense his, his lack of voice when you cry out? This is often where he's at work the most in your life. Because God always remembers his people. His memory isn't bad like ours. I, I, you know, I couldn't tell you what I had for dinner last night. God's not like that with his memory. His memory is long lasting. He never forgets his children or his promises to his children. And how can we know this is true? How, do, how can we know that God actually is remembering us in his silence? Because of his work. You know, the, the two things that are, that, are, that are side by side here, which I think you find throughout scripture, are always side by side. If you find the, the remembrance of the Lord in silence is also followed by his work. And this is a second thing you see here. That doesn't, God doesn't just remember us in his silence, but he remembers us in his work. At the end of verse one, right, it says, God remembered Noah. And what did he do? And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. No, first of all, I would say that, you know, he's, he's, he's been at work this whole time, right? Keeping them safe throughout chapter seven and through all of eight. And I think, you know, sometimes we can make the mistake of only recognizing God's work in our lives when he does exactly what we want him to do, right? It's, it's like, hey, I asked him to do this thing. He did that thing. So clearly he's at work. Or I asked him to do this thing. He didn't do that thing. So clearly he's not at work. But he is at work in so many unseen ways, sustaining your life, filling your lungs with air. Even here, the, the boat did not capsize. They were delivered. They were saved from the flood. And then we see here his active work, the end of verse 1, that God made the wind blow. God is at work. Noah didn't know it. It's a pretty subtle thing to make the wind blow. It's a pretty subtle thing because it took still months for that wind to actually complete its work. But it was him, God, at work. Noah didn't know it was happening. The family's in the dark of this particular moment. I imagine the wind itself has been blowing around. This is an unnatural wind that God is making blow. And the word wind here is ruah, which is the same Hebrew word that's used for spirit, which is the same word that's used in Genesis 1 when the ruah of, the, of God was hovering over the, over the face of the earth, of the waters of the earth. That same spirit that was hovering over a world that was yet unmade and untamed in Genesis 1 is, is that worked here over the untamed waters of the flood. And what is his work doing? It's bringing about a second creation. And when you think about the work of God, what is his work? What is he always working towards? What is his work committed to? to? Ultimately, he is at work bringing about new creation. That is the end of his work. A recreation. This is Revelation 21 and 22 stuff happening at the very beginning of the story of Scripture. 
And this is how God remembers his people by bringing about his promises of new creation, by doing his work, bringing about a new world. You find his God has not forgotten his promises. His spirit is at work to bring them about, causing the waters to recede. And, and then they find themselves on this mountain, on this is modern day Turkey. Uh, and what do we find Noah doing as they're stuck on this mountain somewhere? So he sends out birds. It's kind of a strange thing. You know, there's so many strange things in the Bible that we've read it so often, we just read past. We're like, oh yeah, send out a bird. It's, of course you'd send out a bird if you're stuck on a boat on a mountain. What else would you do? But, you know, but it's kind of strange, right? So what's happening? Well, it's in ancient days, there was a common sailor practice. Was they would have actually homing pigeons on board, and they would, they would release them and, and follow them to land, because homing pigeons have this, you know, crazy way of finding land that no one really knows how it works uh, at least the book I read once, maybe they discovered how it worked in the last 10 years or so. But when I, last time I studied this, <laughs> no one had figured out how homing pigeons do it. And they just, they just know where land is. And so an ancient practice amongst sailors, you need to find land, you release a homing pigeon, and you follow it, and it takes you to land. And, uh, and so releasing the birds was a way to find out where's the land, what's happening out there. So clearly Noah had some inclination that he might need to do this, because he had these birds, uh, and he, he knew how to use them. And uh, there is a, a subtle truth here that walking with God in faith, right, trusting God to work does require action on our part. It's one thing to say, yeah, I have faith. I trust, I trust you, God. I, I, I trust God to provide for me. It's another thing to trust him, to trust that he will provide for you to the point where you are generous with what you have, even if you have very little. Like faith requires action on our part. And this is an act of faith and a trust by Noah to do this. He expected this moment to happen. And it says here, right, the, the raven goes out and it doesn't come back because it's, you know, ravens, they can fly for a long time and so it's circling around, but it doesn't come back. And so he sends out a dove which can't fly for as long and, you know, she returned once with nothing. And then the second time he sent the dove out and it came back with an olive leaf and then seven days later he sent the dove out and it did not return at all. And there's so much happening here that we're gonna barely just dive into just a little bit. But, you know, what do you find in the baptism of Jesus? You find a dove descending. And I think that moment is actually looking back to this moment, where the dove comes with an olive branch, an olive branch symbolizing peace. And this is what the Spirit does, right? It, the Spirit leads his people to safety, to peace, to the biblical word that we call shalom, the deep peace that you all long for in your life. That's what the Lord brings you to. That's what the Spirit does. And just as the Spirit of God led them to this place of new creation here in, in the Old Testament and with Noah and his family, so the Spirit births us again and makes us new creation people now. It's kind of beautiful truth here that God remembers you in his work, his work to bring about new creation in your life that's brought about by the work of his Spirit. And his work is slow, painstakingly slow. It's often so subtle you don't notice it in the day-to-day -day moments of life, but it is there. And because even after all of this, what's, what's required of Noah and his family? More waiting, not what you want to hear, but they were so close to getting off the boat at this moment, right? They could taste it. It's like the end of this long airplane ride, right? You land, and then they, you're pulling up to the gate, and they're like, hey, actually, you got to wait. The gate got, something's broken on the gate. you got to wait. An hour later, you're still sitting there. You're so close. You can, you can taste the fresh air, but yet you're stuck in that you know, can that is an airplane. 
They're so close. But yet Noah didn't rush him. Noah had faith. He trusted God. He waited on the Lord. He, he trusted that the God who called him into this boat and who led him through the flood would be the same God who is faithful to lead him off the boat to this new land, this new creation, to a place of rest that Noah's name had promised. So there's this question for us in this, is this, where is God asking you to wait in your life? Where is God asking you to, to hold fast, to wait? Where is that waiting hard? God has not forgotten you in your waiting. It's in your waiting that your, your faith is strengthened, that, you learn that, that, that your muscle that trusts God is strengthened. It's in those moments of endurance, which are the hardest, that teach you to wait on the Lord. And you can wait because God remembers you. And he is at work in your waiting. And, and what makes our work, waiting worth it is where he leads us in the end of the thing that's, that's on the other side of our waiting, that thing that we haven't fully even tasted yet, which is shalom, rest. God delivers on his promises to bring us to shalom, to bring us to a place of peace, which is what we all want. We all desire peace. We all want rest. Uh, this is exactly where God brings his people. And this is what God's work brings about. And this is the third thing we see here fully is God remembers us in his rest. We see this begin here in verse 15. It says, then God said to Noah, so finally God breaks the silence. So go out from the ark, you and everyone with you, all the animals. He says, be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So God speaks. His work has been completed. He says, go out from the, from the ark. Be fruitful and multiply. God had brought them to a place of relief. God had knowed them. They'd been saved. God had completed his promised work. They were brought into this place, which is this new creation, which in so much of the language here, and we'll get into this more next week in Genesis chapter 9, echoes the, the words that were given to Adam and, and Eve. It's this new creation moment, a recreation. All right, this task is, and the task that was given to Noah and Eve is now given to, I mean, to Adam and Eve, not Noah and Eve. Uh, so many names in the Bible, you know, you can't help but get them wrong sometimes. But this task is now given to Noah and his family, right? A new creation is happening. A new creation is a place, ultimately, where we find eternal rest. It's a place of peace. And this is what they've been brought to. God remembered them and fulfilled the promises to preserve them and the future promised seed that would one day usher in an eternal new creation moment. And we see this as a new creation is this moment of recreation is inaugurated at an altar in a place of worship. Verse 20, we see this. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. So Noah responds to God's great work of deliverance with worship. Worship, was a, which is an activity actually of rest. Notice Noah doesn't respond with resentment. So God, why did you take so long uh, Noah doesn't respond with bitterness about his silence, about his waiting. But Noah responds with a thankful heart. You know, there's not a lot of birds in the world at this time. And yet he took those birds and he sacrificed them. He was so thankful that God saw him through. 
And God responds to the worship done in faith here with verse 21. He says this, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. So you find this moment, this pleasing aroma of the sacrifice of this worship is so pleasing to the Lord. And then God says something that can sound like a contradiction to some things that were said earlier. He says, I will never again curse the ground because people are evil from their youth. This is interesting because isn't this the very reason that God brought about the flood was because people were evil, right? Continually only, you know, just pure evil. So what's happening here? Well, a couple of things I can say. First, for one, is that uh, the word for curse here is actually different than the word used in Genesis 3. So the curse that's, that's, that he's not going to do anymore is specifically talking about the curse of bringing about a, another flood. He said, I'm not going to do that. He said, I'm also not going to strike down all the creatures like I did in this, in this moment. And at the, end of verse, at the end of this chapter, he says, you know, there's going to be, the seasons are going to remain on this earth. Seed time, harvest, cold, heat, summer, winter, day, night shall not cease. I'm not going to interrupt that any, any longer. But secondly, what God is saying, though, as he's saying, listen, I'm going to withhold the fullness of my wrath despite the sinfulness of the human heart. Right? This promise was made possible through the sacrifice that Noah offered. So the question is, well, how is this possible when clearly humanity still struggles with deep sin? It sure feels like the flood didn't do anything. Right? It doesn't feel like it really worked. So what's happening here? Well, I don't know if you are like this. I'm going to assume that you are for a moment, unless you have zero uh, sense of smell. Um, but for me, smells trigger memories. Sometimes I can even look at a picture and I can remember the smell of that particular place. But, you know, one for me is, one of the top aromas for me is uh, the smell of almond roca cooking on the stovetop. Something about equal parts butter, sugar, and almonds melting together. You know, but you, gotta, you can't heat it too fast or burn. You don't want the burnt smell. You just want it just right. It, just, it puts me in my house growing up on Christmas morning. And something is happening like that here. As God is smelling this aroma, his memory is triggered again. Only he isn't looking back. Uh, he's remembering the future. It brings him down what one friend calls the, the tunnel of time. Because what do all altars ultimately point to? They all ultimately point to the sacrifice of Christ. And as God smells this, what does he remember? He remembers the future sacrifice of Christ, that he can endure the sinfulness of humanity in this moment, not because of anything particular about Noah, but because of the promised seed who he promised would come and bring the greater rest and relief. The, the greater Noah that would come and destroy the works of darkness once and for all. Because the truth is sin is still in this world. I don't need to convince anyone here of this truth. I mean, what you see here is a new creation moment, but it isn't the new creation moment that destroys all evil. And in this story of the ark, what we really find is a microcosm of the story of God and his people. Just as Noah and his people were delivered to this place of new creation from death to life, so in Christ, the greater ark, we are delivered to a place of new creation through his death and resurrection. And so what we see here is the flood ultimately works because it preserves this future seed that would come and bring about this greater rest. 
right? The one who would come and deliver us, his people, from judgment and bring his people rest. And in this profound truth is the truth that you and I are now new creations right now in Christ. That the Holy Spirit that delivered them here is the same spirit that lives inside you. Right, the same spirit that made the waters recede and, and brought Noah to, to safety is the same spirit that brings you and I to new life and continues to bring you to new life, renewing you daily, moment by moment. You can wait, you can endure sufferings because your God remembers you. And he's bringing you through the, through the flood waters to a future day of new creation when sin will be no more. And although you and I have not tasted that final day of rest yet, Although we are in the ark of Christ, yet we still get tossed in the storms of life, you and I can hold fast and rest because God remembers us. And just, just like Noah had his moment with, with the dove and this small grace to know that they would not be cooped up forever, you and I too are given momentary glimpses of that future day. As we're sanctified, as we're made holy, as you know, every relationship that, that's broken, that's restored, is a new creation moment breaking through. Every time you, you confess your sin and rest on the righteousness of Christ, that is a new creation moment breaking through. Every moment of self-sacrifice and kindness is a new creation moment breaking through. Every moment we gather together and worship together and break bread together and lift our voices together, that's a new creation moment breaking through. Every time that the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ goes out and his peace is established through his people, new creation breaks through. Every place that the kingdom of God begins to come on earth as it is in heaven, which we pray for every week, new creation breaks through. This happens to the, the gathered church who is called the new creation. And in these momentary glimpses of that future day, these momentary glimpses of, of peace, of, of love, of the joy of God, we remember that God has not forgotten us. He's a God who remembers. And because of this, you and I can wait. We can rest through the low valleys, through the high peaks. And one of the other beautiful truths that, that strengthens us to do this is that we don't do this alone. Just as Noah was not in the ark alone, we are not on the ark of Christ alone, but we, we have, you know, in some senses, all Christians gathered around the world are on that ark with us, but in a local sense, it's you and I together are on this boat together. So when one of us is low, we encourage each other, hold fast. When one of us is doing well, we encourage one another, praise the Lord for his work in your life. We have a people to wait with. You have a new family in the ark together. May we be a people who wait and hope well in faith. May we be a people who endure the storms of life knowing that our God is a God who holds us fast and that our inheritance is sure and waiting for us in heaven, held by Christ whose work is done as he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Amen. Pray with me. Merciful God in heaven, we give you thanks that we can even lift our voice in prayer to you knowing that you are a God who hears your children. I pray that wherever we are a restless people, that you would touch our lives and give us rest. Wherever we are anxious, help us to wait and know that you are for us, working towards your good and glorious ends in our lives. 
Please complete the work you started, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.